All right, so welcome back to the Well Actually Podcast. Uh, we have a really good show for you today. As always, you can get the Well Actually Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. All you have to do is search the Well Actually Podcast. It's going to be the one with the green and white signage, so you know it's Nigerian. Also, if you're interested in videos of the podcast, you can subscribe to the Well Actually Podcast on YouTube. And if you're interested in both the audio and video portions of the show, you can visit thewellactuallypod.com. And there's also some short write-ups about each episode there as well. Uh, Just like last week, uh, we're going to continue with the reviews of Game of Thrones. So the very last segment of the show is going to have a Game of Thrones review. So if you're not up to date, I'm letting you know there are going to be spoilers there as well. All right, so let's get to the show. All right, so now it's time for what is actually the final 30-day workout challenge update. Uh, All I have to say is free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Like, I've really gotten my freedom back. Uh, Yesterday was the final day of the 30-day challenge, and man, going to the gym 30 days in a row, who knew that would be so restricting? And oh my goodness, <laughs> after I'm done recording this, I'm going straight to a buffet. I don't care if it, it undoes all the progress I've made, but man, I'm, in fact, I'm going to be the first person to take food to a buffet. That's how serious it's going to be. Like, it's, it's going to be an ugly scene afterwards, but it's going to be totally worth it. And I was kind of just uh, trying to decide if I should post like before and after pictures, but yeah, you can't really tell the difference. So I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna internalize all all of the progress and as far as I'm concerned there's a difference and you guys don't even have to believe me I am not bothered at this point but yeah thanks to everyone who also uh, went along with this journey and some of them are extending it into May I'm like you guys are on your own I did my bid I served my time and I'm not looking back but again. Uh, guys might also want to consider something like that and even if it's not going to be 30 days straight it could just be three days a week make sure you never skip a Monday and watch what you eat although I feel like a hypocrite with that last part because I'm not watching what I eat from now on like going forward I I'm in, I've been having withdrawal symptoms so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm about to go in there as well so anyway we're gonna take a quick short break and we'll be right back so on a more somber note, on Monday, we learned that the legendary film director, John Singleton, passed away after he suffered a stroke over the weekend. And I just wanted to take this time to sort of look back on what kind of impact he's had on Hollywood and black cinema as a whole. and. When you consider what kind of work he's put out and the number of careers he has impacted, this is not just a tragedy on its own where one person has lost their life, but it also puts into like it puts into focus what kind of man he was in terms of his brilliance behind the camera and his faith in other people and how it's put other people on the map in terms of their careers. 
And the one seminal piece of work that everyone seems to point to is uh, Boys in the Hood. And when he put out this movie, he became the, the first black director to be nominated for an Oscar. And till today, he's still the youngest ever nominee. And he was 24 when he received that nomination. And the fact that he was such a gifted storyteller in terms of representing the hood the way it actually is not glamorizing and not sugarcoating it as well it made for it made for very authentic storytelling and then when you look at the people he worked with on that project and projects moving forward it was ice cube's first movie it was regina king's first movie and it was also morris chestnut's first movie and then you see that he also gave angela bassett and cuba gooding jr their big breaks essentially in such in a movie that was able to push their career to like a new level and when you also consider the other things they had worked on it, it just blows your mind because he was such a pioneer such a trailblazer and his importance cannot be overstated like when you consider his movies as well as the music video he did Michael Jackson's Remember the Time video, which was essentially a nine minute mini movie and the characters that were casted in it and it portrayed ancient Egypt with black people as royalty, not just as staff or slaves or someone subservient. And it might not seem like a big deal for other people, but he had a way of highlighting and pushing the narrative of black people in a positive light and this is something that we obviously need a lot of in today's society but as as a man as a filmmaker and as just a person who always sought to see the best in people this is a really big loss and i hope his family and his friends are able to feel some sort of peace right now and compassion and whatever kind of love that they need at this moment. And his family also wanted to issue a plea to black men to get their blood pressure checked because this might seem like a, a small deal to other people, but amongst black people, black men specifically, we take terrible care of our health. And this is something that we essentially, we really need to take care of. We need to check into it. We need to at least get regular checkups because honestly like there are enough things on the outside that are out to get us we shouldn't be in a position where it's our bodies that betray us so again this is directly from his family asking that black men and black people in general take better care of their health and just get your blood pressure checked at least to see where you stand and know what kind of corrective measures can be taken all right we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back so last week and over the weekend, uh, the NFL conducted their annual draft for players coming out of college. And this being a podcast about Nigerians in America and Nigerian Americans, I decided to look into just how many Nigerians were drafted. So I had to look through every single player that was drafted, all 250 something of them, and I got the answer. And I'm sure some of you are wondering, like, why did, you, why or how did you have the time to do all this? And I, I 
don't go out on the weekends. So essentially, there were 10 Nigerians drafted, or at least 10 folks with Nigerian names that were at least kind of kind of obvious to recognize, although some were a lot harder than others. And the standout of all of them, well, I'll, I'll just let you hear this. The Indianapolis Colts, Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard select future Hall of Famer, nice. linebacker from Stanford, Bobby Okariki. Okariki. That's right, Bobby Okariki. Okariki. Yeah, so he was, a, he actually graduated from Stanford and. I mean, if this kid it doesn't make it in the NFL, he has a bright future elsewhere because he interned for Condoleezza Rice. He majored in management science and engineering with a track in finance and decision analysis. I, I mean, like when Nigerian parents tell you someone has two heads, this is, this is the dude they're talking about. Like for you to have that kind of academics to go along with being such a good athlete that you're drafted in the NFL. I mean, there's what, what else can you say? Also, I want to give a little love and a shout out to our one Ghanaian brother who was drafted. I think it was drafted by the Giants. So, I mean, the whole of West Africa is representing at this point. And uh, yeah, you know, it's what I'm sure by the next generation, it's going to be even more because by the time you consider the number of athletes in the NFL and in the NBA that are Nigerian and you consider even the female athletes who man it's whichever kids end up with parents that had like athletic careers they're, they're we're just going to take over in the next generation and a quick pointer to anyone just get your kids to play baseball when you're done with the podcast just go and look at those salaries in baseball i know you might push them towards basketball or even soccer but i'm telling you this is a this is free game right now. Go check out those baseball salaries, and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right, so moving on to, I don't know if this is positive or just funny, but another story concerning a Nigerian, and Davido revealed that he's going to be on the May 14th episode of Nick Cannon's Wild and Out. And for the uninitiated, <laughs> Wild and Out is all about freestyle comedy. And there's a music aspect to it as well. So essentially, you're getting roasted over a trap beat. And <laughs> David O seemed pretty excited to, to get this opportunity. And he even said that he was a big fan and he watched it when he was younger. And I'm not sure he understands what he's getting himself into. Or maybe he does. And he's just confident like that. But I'd like to call your attention back to David O's last big freestyle event. She want me to marry She want me upgrade on like Caria. Me, I know Caria. I put Baria. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I'm not, I, I mean, that was five years ago, admittedly, but 
has has much changed i don't know i mean i hope so but i mean david Ostar has been on the rise so i'm pretty sure his team only sees this as a positive whether he gets roasted or he does the roasting but he's been all over the radio both terrestrial and even satellite radio and i guess this is supposed to be his big star turn for the fact that he's actually being considered for this is a big deal so maybe after the episode airs we're going to come back and do a review a little dissection of what occurred and and we'll see i mean i'm i'm hopeful i mean i know it's going to be entertaining uh, but he can't come there with just uh your mad or my father has more money than that's that's not going to fly well but again this is a big deal and i'm really excited about the possibility of what can occur so i realized that a lot of the previous topics might have been pretty upbeat and like just considering this topic alone right now that we're about to get into made me name this episode the good the bad and the ugly and i still feel like that's an understatement here so before i even get into it i wanted to put out that uh this requires a bit of a trigger warning because of the nature of some of the topics and some of the actions or some of the things that are going to be discussed and um i honestly don't want to get into too much of the specifics because of how graphic they are and some may say that that is actually required in telling the story accurately but i feel like it's it isn't the type of thing that should be taken lightly i'll put it that way so i while i was doing just research and i use that word loosely on things to discuss on the podcast i came across a thread and it the gist of it was 70 women in abuja that's in nigeria were arrested on grounds of suspected prostitution so they were arrested at a nightclub or a restaurant or an establishment at night and the whole basis of the arrest is that these were women who were out at night and as far as what you could consider law enforcement in nigeria they claim that these women were engaging in prostitution so this is this isn't even the worst part where women are just being targeted for the fact that they're out at night no so when you consider what first of all what prostitution is like it it might sound basic as hell but it takes two to tango so there were 70 women arrested not a single man not one no just 70 women that's so you know what that's i'll take a deep breath there and then the fact that they now want it to seem where okay we have this approach where we're going to separate women by virtue like those who aren't affected are they essentially look down on us that you're better than them because you stayed at home no so even if they are and this is the part where we consider we lose the word law enforcement very loosely even if they are prostitutes this is not excusable whether it's a woman who is out late just having a good time or even if she is a prostitute there is no reason 
for the kind of treatment that they have received. And when you see the details of this treatment, it is barbaric. When, I, when you consider just how poorly they're being, and it's not just like, oh, terrible living conditions, oh, it's dirty. No, they are being assaulted by the police officers themselves. So you have made the decision where they themselves are selling their services to others, which still hasn't been proven by the way. And now you're forcing yourselves on them. So your, your solution for the immorality, and that's, that's also being cited, morality. Morality is what's being cited as part of law enforcement. So not only are you using that against them, but then you're forcing yourselves on them again. And then we now have someone who supposedly is a spokesperson or someone representing the police department putting out all these lame-ass excuses talking about, oh, um, it's a sin and it's immoral and it's... And I'm like, dude, do you even hear yourself? Like, there are so many... There are so many things in Nigeria and this is not just a Nigeria problem but we're talking about Nigeria right now there are so many things in Nigeria that are set up against women women who are just living their lives or trying to live their lives and you just when you consider all these things there are so many things that are set up against them just to make life even more difficult than it already is like women can't rent apartments on their own or even drive in cars that they bought by themselves or go on vacation without everything they've done or everything they do being called into question the veracity of it oh who paid for that for you or who's the person behind the scenes funding it and yeah it might seem like a joke to you at the time but it is it is really disrespectful and i'm sure the people in this situation wish their only their only plight was disrespect not their bodies being violated and that is exactly what is occurring here under the guise of law enforcement, under the guise of morality, under the guise of religion. And let me point this out to you as well. For a country that is so religious, you there is not a situation where they don't come up morally bankrupt. Okay, for all the preaching they do, for all the sermonizing, they always seem to come up on the wrong side of rights. So think about this for a situation. Think about this. The people who are charged with protecting citizens are the ones committing these heinous acts. And if there is, if there's anything, like, can you even think of things worse than that? And this is something that a lot of people have spoken up about recently, where these establishments where these people were congregating, even if for selfish reasons, they should be against this, where these are people who are you know, patronizing you and suddenly there are raids there where they're taking all the women away and you you have no statement, no way to fight back against this. And there's this movement that is, that's being started and it's brilliant, honestly. And I'm, and I'm sad that it's taken something so chaotic and something so, something so violent for it to come to this, but they're going to start boycotting these restaurants, these clubs, these establishments where people would normally go to. And whether you like it or not, women drive the economy, whether it's from the top or from the bottom, from your high class clubs to even the marketplace. 
And if you decide that you are not going to protect your patrons, then you're not going to have any patrons. And let's see how popping your lifestyle or your nightlife is when you only have 600 dudes popping bottles by themselves with nobody to impress but each other. And your club essentially empties out because you've decided that you're not even going to stand up for what is essentially your own best interest. And I'm, I'm sad that it's come about to capitalism to come and save the day. But when you consider that the people who are supposed to be protecting them are the ones who are the ones actually causing the greatest harm, I honestly don't know what to say anymore. And I can see why women are so angry because when there is a discussion like this, how could anyone with any kind of sense decide to be on the other side? There should be no other side. Just think about And then, oh. So, like, just being an outsider on, like, looking in, not being in Nigeria at the moment, and being a man, I and a man who identifies as a feminist or at least a feminist ally some people are trying to use that word as a pejorative and it is the most asinine thing possible like you see people talking about this and your 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 comment is oh so you're a feminist and that's what you say to these women like after everything that has come out after everything that has been noted everything that has been said and this is how you choose to respond you are better off keeping quiet because honestly you are being a waste of space and i can only hope that somehow some way these women are released and because women in nigeria women in africa women around the world are not being protected and hopefully i'll be able to come up with an episode where we're going to discuss this matter in depth not just about this arrest and I'm not even sure we could call it an arrest because at this point it's 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 kidnapping is what it is because of what they're doing to them and what what kind of abuse of power this is. But essentially, I would like to talk to some people about just what women are going through. And because sadly enough, it might be because I'm a man talking about it that some people are going to listen. But I would prefer if there is a woman as well, or maybe even a couple of women who are willing to discuss some things that I might even be missing and I'm not even going to pretend like I have some sort of expertise in this area but it's something that I am partial to because I understand what my privilege is in all of this and and this is something that there's no way you can make it seem right no matter how you try to spin it and I just hope for the sake of our women that something can be done about this. Alright, we'll take a short break and then we'll be right back. Alright, so I want to talk again about Avengers Endgame. And from last week's preview, you, you could tell it was going to be a monster hit. And you're probably just how big was this opening weekend? And I'm sure the number that has been floating around for a lot of people is 1.2 billion. And that's accurate to an extent. Okay? So domestically, it opened with 350 million. And that's almost 100 million more than the second place, which was Avengers Infinity War. 
but that's just not the only record it holds. So it holds the record for the largest Thursday, the largest Friday, largest Saturday, and the largest Sunday. So it's not just like the, the sum of the weekend that was amazing for each individual day. And it also had a 90% movie share, which means 90% of all the movie tickets bought were for Avengers. Think, just think about that for a second. Like 90% of people who went to the movies went to see Avengers Endgame. And then the international opening, which was even more impressive than that, it opened with $859 million. That almost doubled the second place movie, which was surprisingly Fate of the Furious. Like, I'm not even sure why that movie did so well overseas, but man, that, that was impressive as well. So the MCU, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has grossed roughly $20 billion in total, with nine of the movies topping a billion individually. And another impressive feat is that Captain Marvel ended up being the number two movie this weekend, even though it had dropped out of the top five a couple weeks ago. And this is probably because some people just wanted to make sure they were up to date before watching Endgame. So, and that's a movie that has already crossed 400 million. So they actually brought that up to number two as well. So, and just in case there is anyone who hasn't seen this movie yet, um, maybe you're under a rock or something, it's a long movie. Like, it's a solid three hours. It's not like that three hours when he tells you it's going to be three hours and then after 30 minutes he says he's had a long day at work and then he went to play soccer, but at least now you get to cuddle more. No, this is a solid three hours. And like I said in last week's preview, there is no post credit scene. I know because I waited there till the staff came in to sweep. Even though I knew this ahead of time, there is no post credit scene. Although the credits themselves are pretty dope, but no, there's no special scene waiting for you afterwards. And one more thing, this might be considered a bit of a spoiler, but even though I'm, I'm going to just remove it from context completely, but if you still don't want to hurt, like hear it or anything, you can turn your volume down or skip ahead the next 30 seconds. But it's a nice Easter egg in case you've actually seen the movie. So if you remember the scene where everyone was at the lake, they were all gathered there, and then it just seemed like there was just one random teenager there. That was actually the kid from uh, Iron Man 3 who was uh, helping Tony Stark in the garage. So that's all I'll say on that. It was an incredible movie at 10 out of 10. I would highly recommend it. So we're back to our Game of Thrones recap. And in case you probably in case you missed it, yes, I will be going in depth and providing what can only be described as spoilers. Yes, spoilers because you can't effectively talk about this without providing spoilers. So this is going to be the final segment of the show anyway. So if you don't want to hear the Game of Thrones recap, please remember to subscribe to the Well Actually podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and Stitcher, or on YouTube. Just search for the Well Actually podcast, or you can get everything you want at thewellactuallypod.com. All right, so now to episode three, which was actually titled The Long Night, Not the Battle at Winterfell, although the, the battle itself was called that. 
And it came out to be the second most watched episode ever of Game of Thrones behind only the season finale of season seven. And a couple of days after the episode aired, it was revealed to be the most tweeted most tweeted about episode in TV history with over 7.8 million tweets. So I don't know who, who the people who are trying to avoid spoilers. It kind of seems like people went out of their way to tweet about this because it's it's a communal event, okay? Like there's a time where everyone gets together and and they're going to watch it. And you can't come and say, "Oh, all 15 million of you who are going to watch this episode, stop talking about it because I haven't seen it." When you could simply remove yourself from Twitter or whatever. Although I will say this to the people who put spoilers on their Instagram or or Snapchat stories, like, what is your problem? Like, this is something that, oh, okay, I'm just looking at a picture or video of food, and next thing I'm seeing what Aria has done. Like, have you no have you no sense? Like, come on, man, like. It's one thing to avoid a tweet where it's just words that you can filter out. But if it's a story, then how are you supposed to avoid that? Anyway, to the episode itself, uh, it's the longest episode in this in the series so far, 82 minutes. And it was supposed to be the longest uh, battle scene in the history of cinema. And I think they're trying to count the entire episode as the battle, but I timed it at one hour and eight minutes. Other people had it at one hour seven. And just off the bat, one of the biggest concerns, criticisms of the episode was it was so damn dark. Like you, you had to squint, turn off every light in your apartment, whatever, just to make sure you could see it properly. And then the cinematographer came out and said, oh, he did his job. You guys just have to tune your TVs properly. And like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about, dude? Like, use, use a lantern. Tell somebody to turn on the flash. I don't know. But anyway... Uh, there are just so many things to get to because this I can't think of any other show where people are dissatisfied because a lot of their favorite characters didn't die like is that what this show has turned us into where we have this bloodlust where like no I know I love this character but why is he still alive and the thing is seven characters actually like recurring or main characters actually died in this episode but that wasn't enough. And the, f- the funniest part is how some of them, well, not maybe not funny, but the notable thing about it is how some of them died. Uh, like uh, Lady Mamont, she died c- while, while being a badass. Who, she was essentially the smallest member of the cast, and she ended up killing one of the biggest members that have showed up on the show, like a, a giant zombie, essentially. And, you know, she, she went out like a G. And uh, Jorah, he, he went out. <laughs> he went out the way he lived, like protecting Daenerys. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who caught this when she used his body as a shield. Because I saw the episode twice. And I don't think I'm tripping when I saw she used She used him as a shield. Let's, let's just keep it 100, okay? That's... Daenerys was like, I'm not going out like this. And I mean, he's already bleeding out. So, you know, like, let's let's just use him anyway. And is there anyone who has a bigger death wish than Jon Snow? Because he does things that lead me to believe he really doesn't want to be alive anymore. Like, if even if you go back to when he 
unsheathed his sword in one episode with like an entire army charging down on him. This dude squared up with with the with the zombie dragon. And I know some people are saying that he was using that as a distraction for Arya to go get the Night King or whatever. But no, he was about to get into a shouting match with a dragon. But you know, I'm I'm not even gonna go. I'm not even because they keep they keep putting him in positions of power. So it's like no matter what he does, he keeps failing upward, and that I mean that's that's just part of his charm, I suppose. But the the part that like had me shook was when Arya was in the library and see this is this is why I don't read because this is what happens in libraries like it was just one thing after another like it went from drama to action to horror like that was just that was genuinely frightening and and then when Beric actually gave up his life for her and the hound was just he was being a little punk, just like he's not fighting, that we're fighting death. Like, no, bro, you got you get into the fight or get, or get out of here. But <laughs> I just I just want a moment of silence for this the Dothraki horde. They they got their swords lit up and they thought they were about to do something and they went charging and it was grand opening, grand closing. Like <laughs> it was why did like they didn't re they really didn't have to do them like that like they they were supposed to be this you know this versatile this this ravenous group that were fearless and could do anything and they were extinguished like like a candle and it was i guess it goes along with the theme of from extreme hope to extreme hopelessness where you're just like oh okay so that's not going to work either and everything that they tried, like even by digging the trenches and lighting them, even though that took a while, like the Lord of Light was taking his sweet time and and helping Melisandre, but it took a while and then that got lit and then you're like, oh, thank goodness, like this is happening. And then the Night King just says, okay, tells the whites to sacrifice themselves to build a bridge over it. And they're like, oh, okay, so that's done. And they just get up the wall so quickly and and wait, let's even examine, I know I'm sounding like one of those people who, who wants to give you their military expertise without actually ever being in combat or whatever, but let's examine, let's examine that strategy real quick. Like you're, you're, you're not even protecting the wall that you know they're trying to get up. So are you just like saying you're, they're definitely going to get into the castle or whatever? Like, you didn't even put any dragon glass, like, at the top of the wall or along the sides of the wall to at least slow them down. Because once they got to the wall, they were up. And people were just getting slaughtered up there. But you know what? I think the fact that they were so incapable of doing anything right made for a better episode. And let's not even talk about how the dragons were deployed. Like, Daenerys saw that the Dothraki were gone. And she's like, I know we made a plan, but bump that. I'm calling an audible and this is what's going to happen. And then of course you can't discuss any of this without <laughs> without Bran and how he just essentially went on a mini vacation in the middle of this uh, battle. I know you're going to say oh he used the ravens as bait to get the night king to where he was. But bro, you could have you could have at least communicated that to somebody, let us know what's happening. But when he came back and and he let 
Theon, like, he absolved him, essentially, because Theon had already gotten some sort of reprieve from everybody else, like, when he saved Sansa and also John, they gave their quote-unquote blessing. And Theon just went and <laughs> he just got slaughtered by the Night King himself, and I guess that was supposed to be this uh, chilling ending for him. And then, of course, Arya. There are theories abound to how Arya snuck up on them, whether she took the face of a White Walker or she was just that stealthy. I'll let you make up your own mind on that, but it was it was one of those moments that made everybody yell at the screen. And it was, you know, and the creators of the show said that they had that idea about three years ago so they knew it wasn't going to be john that was going to kill the night king it was going to be Arya because everyone was already expecting john snow to be the one to do it and i really like how that part came about and for the most part the episode was really well done lighting aside and when you consider how they put all the weakest people in a freaking crypt like, did they forget that they were dealing with someone who could reanimate the dead? I mean, it would have been awesome if we could have seen, like, Ned Stark come back to life and down there trying to kill somebody, but I, I don't know. Maybe they had other ideas for what was going to occur there. But all in all, it was a really dope episode. And now, and now we all get to see what's going to happen with Cersei and the rest of the Ironborn and basically she used she knew the 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 north was going to have their hands full so whether they whether they survived or not they're definitely going to be outnumbered but then again they have defeated death essentially and that's going to make for a chilling but exciting conclusion to the season and in case you it might have slipped your mind we're already halfway through the final season that's right, there are only six episodes. Three episodes down, three episodes to go. So if you need to get to a TV on Sunday just to be part of it, I highly suggest you do so. Alright, so this is the end of this episode. I want to thank you all for listening. Please, please, please subscribe, rate, review, share with people. Uh, it goes a long way in helping the podcast grow. And also visit the wellactuallypod.com for audio video and a little bit of writing as well don't forget to subscribe to the well actually podcast on youtube all right i'll see you next week